Greetings, this is Douglas Gimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. I'm joined today on the podcast by Blake Haxton, the Energy and Transportations Analyst at Diamond Hill. Blake's becoming a regular guest on the podcast, having joined us just a couple of weeks ago. Blake graduated from The Ohio State University with a degree in finance, but wasn't satisfied with that and went on to get his JD from The Ohio State University as well. And to top it off, he was awarded his Chartered Financial Analyst designation in 2019. Blake is joining me today on the podcast to discuss his most recent industry perspectives piece covering the airline industry and the impact of COVID-19. You can find this most recent industry perspectives piece and others at our company website, diamond-hill.com. As we continue to work through these unprecedented times, I ask for your understanding for any sound issues that may arise. As always, stay safe, stay healthy, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Blake Haxton. Blake, I want to welcome you back to the podcast. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Always good to be here. One of our best and favorite guests. Since the lockdown was put on in March, uh, mid-March, and we've moved through this gradual reopening, one of the things that I've continually looked at is the number of people that are screened by the TSA at airports around the country. And it's a statistic that you shared with me early on during the pandemic as a way of measuring airline usage and, and how many people are traveling. And as you note, in your industry perspectives piece, uh, at one point, airlines were carrying less than 5% of the passengers than one year prior. Um, where do we stand currently with airline travel numbers? Yeah, you know, Doug, those TSA numbers kind of give us a good, obviously very general view of air travel in the U.S. And as of September, uh, and rec we're recording this, of course, the first week of October, but the September numbers look like U.S. demand uh, was down about 68% right around in that 70% number. And they've kind of hovered around 70% for the last couple of months here. Um, so you might say, you know, the inverse of that would be demand is 30% of what it was a year ago. And it's been a gradual recovery a little bit. We're starting to see a little bit better numbers than we did over the summer. Of course, the big improvement came through uh, the end of April um, and then into May and June. And then it really plateaued sort of as cases started to, to, to peak right around the 4th of July. And it hasn't gone up a lot since then. Um, so definitely some green shoots, but um, a, a long way to go still. So one of the things that, that we've talked about many times on this podcast, and whether it was with you or with a portfolio manager that's, that's on the podcast, is the long-term focus uh, that we take when we're evaluating companies. So talk to me about how you can incorporate something that is so incredibly disruptive in the short term. Uh, but that could impact the future of airline travel over the longer term. So how do you reconcile what's going on in the short term with looking at long-term projections? Yeah, great question. And so important in a pandemic situation. You know, this is unlike um, a number of other downturns we've had, because in my, in my view, it's not just an economic downturn, right? It's really a behavioral downturn. And, you know, you might, uh, you might think back to 9-11, right? When we were um, travel had collapsed and we're looking forward and thinking, all right, how, how is this going to actually impact the way people make decisions far out into the future? And I think we're still, I mean, the, the real answer is we're still wrestling with that. But the first thing we want to do in the downturn is, you know, we, we kind of say, we look down then up. What kind of liquidity do we have? Can the business survive uh, past the, the short-term uh, difficulty? And for lack of a better word, 
And, you know, we always do that when we write a thesis, but obviously in an environment like this, we're going to revisit that um, in a hurry. Uh, usually, you know, not usually, but a company wouldn't even make it, make it to step two of the process if they couldn't answer that question. And all of a sudden we have portfolio companies where that becomes a, a real problem. So we want to get really comfortable there. And then the next question is we, we do want to ask, okay, do we have a margin of safety to what we think is reasonable going forward? And what do we view as a change in behavior out, far out into the future? Does this, you know, does this mean people aren't going to be on the road as much for corporate travel? Do we, are we as comfortable being in public spaces all crowded together? Um, these are all the kind of things we want to incorporate. And then after we've tried to put uh, kind of put some guardrails around what we think is reasonable, can we get these businesses at a discount to that? And I think that's the process we've been working through for the last five or six months. Yeah, and I, and I think the the comparison to 9-11 is somewhat somewhat apples to oranges because I think one of the things I remember um, when that when that happened that you know everything shut down and there were no planes in the air for I think it was three or four days and then gradually we got back to it but as you pointed out you know it's going to be a lot more uh, difficult uh, at least from my, my own personal opinion of getting on a plane with a bunch of people and I know people are doing it right now um, but if you've got someone that's immune compromised in the family it's just going to be a lot more difficult so I think that weighs a lot heavier than what we saw, you know, with 9-11. You know, I agree with you. And I, the, to, to your exact point, I'm glad you brought it up. It is apples and oranges in so many ways. Um, you know, the most two recent downturns, which in particular have really affected the airline industry, of course, is, is really not so much the tech bubble bursting. It was really 9-11. And then, of course, 08, 09. Um, and I'll tell you, I, for my purposes, I've sort of ignored the data about the recovery from 08, 09. And the two big differences... Uh, I think, are between those two downturns and this one. First of all, we're much more consolidated than we were. And that, that's a, that just has an impact on everything. Um, but second, of course, is as you pointed out, these are just different crises. They're fundamentally different in their nature, um, the way people look at them, the way people respond to them, you know, across the board. It's just not, uh, we have to be very, very careful about comparing you know, those to the current situation. So we've looked to them. We've considered them, but I, I wouldn't say none of my forecasts are based on you know, trying to pencil in some historical recovery rate from what we've seen in previous downturns. So given the success, I mean, I'm sitting in my house in my basement and you're sitting in your house, you know, given the success, I would say, of the work from home uh, shift, is that does that factor into, you know, when you're looking at, you know, future travel and the potential impact on airlines that, you know, even if we, if we get a magical vaccine and everyone opts to take it, and so this goes away, the, the success of, of working from home, and I'm not saying every single day, but some kind of split, which would reduce, you know, travel, because from a cost standpoint, if we take the pandemic out of the equation and just say from a cost standpoint, it's much more cost effective to, to do Zoom calls or Microsoft Teams or whatever it may be, um, does that focus in, does that factor into uh, to how you're evaluating companies? Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. As you pointed out, we've all, you know, we've really been forced to adjust and forced to learn. And by and large, um, you know, everyone's going to have their own opinion, but I've been sort of impressed at the way corporate America, you know, writ large has, has adjusted. I think a lot of people have been surprised that we've uh, done it as well as we have, uh, or at least I have. Um, I, I've, I've been impressed by the way industry's gotten on. 
So there, as you indicated, there's really two questions within this, within this framework of is business travel in particular going to get back on the road? First question is, is the person, the given employee, willing to fly again? I actually think a lot of people are, um, particularly the real road warriors, you know, the people that are maybe in sales or distribution that are gone um, several times a month. Usually I've found, and this is, uh, I mean, always dangerous to be anecdotal, but a lot, a lot of those folks got into those jobs because they do like the travel. They like being on the road at some level. Um, now, maybe not as much, maybe not as much as they had to, but regardless, that process in and of itself wasn't, wasn't really the, uh, the key factor. I think what will be a bigger impact is have businesses, as you indicated, figured out how to achieve the same goals with less cost. So first of all, we've got to get the individual willing to travel again, willing to get back on the plane. And then we've got to have the business willing to pay for them to do it. And I'm much more skeptical about that second question, because as you indicated, as you and I have worked together, as, as we go through our, you know, we're here in conference season, um, sort of over in, in my coverage between airlines and oil and gas and everything. And I've sat through, you know, several virtual conferences where all I have to do is change the, the Zoom meeting and I'm in. Um, and it's better to be there in person, I would say. You do get a little bit, little bit more, but is that little bit more worth paying whatever I've got to pay to get there? Um, you know, it, it's debatable at least is how, I would, is, is how I'm thinking about it. So um, we're just going to have to wait and see is the true answer. And we want to have very wide, a wide range of outcomes here because no one really knows, right? No, neither do we. But that's how we're, we're viewing it. And it's certainly not something that we're going to invest banking on. So uh, you never want to talk politics or religion, but I'm going to throw some politics at you. Uh, given the, the current political environment in the United States, the prospects of any kind of stimulus for either the consumer or the airline industry seem very far off. Or, you know, if you hear them speak about it, Mnuchin and, and Pelosi are getting together every day to continually talk about it and not get any further. What are your expectations, if any, for any kind of stimulus before the end of the year? Um, and which companies give you the most pause if stimulus is delayed, you know, even further beyond that? Sure. You know, we're sitting here on October 6th having this conversation. As you pointed out, it, the information we do have is that negotiations are ongoing. There have been a few reports, um, whether, whether or not you want to trust them is a different issue, but there have been a few reports out of Washington that both Pelosi and Mnuchin and broadly across Congress that at least an airline package is in, in the writing. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I haven't seen anything. I haven't had any hard confirmation of that. I haven't heard, uh, there haven't been pilots or flight attendants saying they, they're hearing that from their own unions. So it still is uncertain. Uh, my view, I think it's more likely than not. Um, and the cynical, a little bit of that, the cynical view is as we approach election day, um, can one party take credit for you know, giving a lot of people um, that extra bailout. And the, the uncynical view is that we're starting to recover and they're talking about maybe out into March, so another six months. Can we get out that far and, and hopefully we'll have a, a vaccine out and beginning to be distributed by that point so a natural recovery can take place without losing a lot of industry-specific knowledge in the meantime. You know, retraining pilots is not the easiest thing to do. Um, you know, you've got to get a certain amount of hours, you've got to get a certain simulator time and takeoffs and landings and all these things. So 
that's a little bit of the argument we hear. I think it's more likely than not that we have a package by the end of the year. Um, if we, I'll, I'll, I'll caveat that by saying if we don't have one by election day, then I think it becomes pretty unlikely we get one. Um, I, I think that that might be the key driver. And in the event that they don't pass, um, we've already seen, we, we really got, because we got through the October 1st deadline of the first bailout package, we're now looking at, you know, what were the plans of all the airlines to react to sort of a true market situation? And I'll say I'm impressed with the operations of a lot of these airlines in terms of cranking down the cash flow or cash outflow and shrinking the operation to a point where they can survive. But unfortunately, the upside of that is there have been massive layoffs across the industry, particularly in the legacy, uh, in the legacy airlines, American, Delta, United uh, being the big ones. Uh, Southwest is now negotiating with their people. They have not had to lay anyone off, but they've said they're trying to negotiate maybe for salary reductions, at least in the short term, so they can, they can keep all, all their staff. We'll have to wait and see. Um, as of now, a number, of, a number of operators are still sort of hoping that this current downturn is transient. I think they're probably carrying a bigger staff than they would in a normal environment, but you know, in the hopes that they can grow into it. So we might not be done. We might see more cuts. Uh, but that's that's the key the key driver there, and you know, looking out longer term, you know, let's 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 assume for a second we do have a vaccine and it gets distributed, and you know we're all sort of back to whatever the new normal is. Is the new normal, you know, long long haul business traffic ever going to be back to what it was in say 2019? Are we going to have um, aircraft density the same as we saw in 2019? Um, I don't know about the degree, but I'm more confident about the direction. And when we segment the flying public, we've got, you know, sort of your, your uh, vacation, visiting friends and relations traffic. I think that basically comes back, back full. Um, maybe not quite to the level it was. I think we'll see some, some people are going to be, be not as excited to get back in big crowds, but I think that probably recovers first. Then maybe we see domestic business travel, people staying in the United States. Then I would expect that last will be that international corporate travel. Um, and as you say, there's not only behavioral questions there, there's political questions there between governments and things. So I um, want to have a lot of cushion around assuming we're going to be generating good economics in those business segments out into the future. And, uh, and, and that's where I'm sort of trying to handicap why are we thinking the way we're thinking in terms of a recovery? And what's the duration and how long could it be before we get back there? So let's, let's pivot to talk about your industry perspectives piece. Um, so you cover, <clears throat> excuse me, you cover two airlines, one of which is the main sponsor for the new stadium for my beloved Las Vegas Raiders, uh, Allegiant <laughs> Airlines. What is it about this airline that you think allows it to weather the current environment and survive and possibly thrive? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Well, we sort of alluded to it earlier. There are two, two dynamics to the Allegiant model that I think set it apart in terms of airlines. The first, as we mentioned, is they're totally exposed to that vacation, visiting friends and relations, classic leisure travelers. Matter of fact, that's basically all they fly. And I'm more optimistic that that will return. Um, you know, we've even sort of seen at the end of the summer as things start opening back up, you know, Disney World opens back up and they're starting to hit their maximum capacity numbers, right? Now that's nowhere near where they were before, but regardless, people have shown, I think that they, 
they want to get back out and they want to they want to go places particularly young people who don't feel like there's at much of a risk the other thing about allegiant and we, I, I think we touched on this a minute ago the big question in my mind for 2020 from an airline's perspective is how quickly can you get to cash flow break even how much cost do you have to leave in the system just to operate the absolute bare minimum of flights in or, uh, and how much is that going to run you on a on a normalized basis because allegiant flies the way they do which for anyone not familiar the the classic hub and spoke model they sort of got rid of and what they've done is they've based all of their aircraft and their crews at key leisure destinations so they've got a lot of planes in las vegas they've got a lot of planes in orlando florida things like this and they just fly out and back from those cities to their various uh, origination cities to pick up passengers and drop them off and the beautiful thing about that is you can basically cancel one route at a time and you don't mess up your system. So as travel got, as travel shrank, they could just sort of check the box, leave the planes home, take off that operating cost and not have to worry about uh, damaging the activity of their network, which was a big issue for the legacies and really still is. Um, the density required to operate the economics of a hub and spoke network is just a vastly different question than the one Allegiant faces. So, we got comfortable pretty quickly that the cash flow wasn't going to be catastrophic on the downside. And then we became more optimistic that one of the first, one of the segments that would recover more quickly uh, would be that leisure element. And uh, given the price that we had the opportunity to own the shares at, we thought we were being well compensated for that. So that was uh, that was really our approach to, to them and that model. So the other name that you discuss in the piece is Alaska Airlines. Um, unlike Allegiant, Alaska does have a bit more reliance on the business segment of travel, but not nearly as much as, as the major players that you referenced earlier. Um, how have they prepared uh, and positioned themselves for the crisis um, that we're going through right now? Yeah, you know, one of the things we've always liked about Alaska is we've been in the, of the belief that their management team thinks about returns on capital and leverage and free cash flow in a shareholder friendly way. And they do manage to, as I'll say, the inevitable crisis, which when you talk to airline executives that have been in it for a while, they all know it's just a matter of when, not if. And we've been impressed by that. And furthermore, they've done an excellent job of, I would say as, as good of a job as anybody in reducing that operating cost uh, during the downturn, uh, shrinking the fleet, grounding planes, um, eliminating routes, you name it. And these are really hard decisions for airline executives to make. You know, a lot of, a lot of management teams in my experience, you know, they wanna connect as many people as possible. They wanna be as big as they can. So when you see a management team willing to go against the grain like that, you, you gotta take notice. And they really have, they've done an excellent job. Um, as last I saw, as they've put out, they believe they're going to be cash flow neutral by the fourth quarter. Now, that's subject to change and update, but even the ability to say with a straight face that they could get there, which I do think it's possible, um, that's a pretty incredible thing to be able to do in even the nine months or six months of a downturn. So much more optimistic there. Now, as we say, and as you've, as you've uh, referenced, much more oriented toward short haul leisure travel than certainly the legacies are not as much as Allegiant, but still a key key market segment total domestic us travel they don't they don't really uh, rely on the connectivity to certainly other continents um, to other countries so that gives me a little more comfort that 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 market will come back 
just one less one less thing to worry about. All in all, I wouldn't say as defensible of a business model as Allegiance, but um, still they've positioned themselves well coming into the crisis that again, for the price we, were, we could have had the shares at, we felt like we were being well compensated for the, the fundamental risks involved. Well, Blake, I wanna thank you uh, for joining me once again, and, and you've expressed and, and illustrated the breadth and depth of the knowledge of the of the analyst team at Diamond Hill and going into these two names and in your piece, uh, again, available on our website, diamond-hill.com. Uh, but Blake, just wanna thank you again for joining me. It's been great. Hey, Doug, thank you. Always good to be with you. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.